0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is navigating the roller coaster freight market with my friend, Ryan Schreiber. Ryan is the Chief Growth Officer of Metaphora, a management consulting and technology delivery firm focused on transportation, logistics, and supply chain. Ryan and the Metaphora team work with a lot of companies in the freight space, and they always have keen insights into what's going on and where the market is heading. If you want some clarity and some common sense insights, please check out my conversation with Ryan Schreiber. How's it going, Ryan? I'm good, buddy. Thanks for having me again. I'm always excited to talk to you. Before we hit record, we were blabbing way too long. We almost had to reschedule. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) always good to have you on my podcast. So Ryan, please introduce yourself and your company where you're calling from today.
1: Sure. I'm Ryan Schreiber. I'm the chief growth officer for Metaphora. Metaphora does technology consulting for transportation logistics supply chain. I'm calling from, I live outside of Austin, Texas now. I think the first time I think the first time I was on your podcast, I still lived in Chicago, but now I live outside of Austin. Yeah. Very nice. So metaphor, who's your sweet spot? Who do you work with? Yeah. So we work with essentially we work with shippers, we work with transportation providers, which would be carriers and intermediaries of all types, so brokers and three PLs, um, trucking companies, I already said, but freight forwarders, shortline railroads, folks like that. And then we work with folks who serve those two cohorts so we work with freight technology companies we work with private equity firms and primarily what we do like i said is technology consulting which is a technology strategy what do you have what do you need what's like a roadmap for some of that change that you might want to do selection if you're going to buy so software selection if you're buying things we do software development if you're going to build things and so it's a fun journey
0: yep before we hit record we're talking about everything under the sun but one of the things we talked about is I think there's 25, 27,000 freight brokers. Our buddy Kevin Hill has put all that together in brush pass research. And I think he posted something on LinkedIn the other day that said the top 1,500 or top 1,200 freight brokers own 80% of the market, which that 80-20 rule always seems to hold. And those guys at the top, do you work with them?
1: Yeah. So our primarily, like if you're talking about the transportation provider market, um, we typically work with companies that are uh kind of five hundred million in revenue up. We do work with companies that are smaller than that in the one fifty or so one hundred range to five hundred. but our core customer base is typically like larger enterprise yep, and I think
0: a big question, and we 'll talk more about this as we get into some of the technology discussion. The big challenge I always think is should I make it in house? which means I might go get a partner like Metaphor and say, help us make sure we don't completely swing and miss on this thing because it's a lot of money. Another thing is I can go out and say, I'm going to go pick this technology. But even if I'm going to pick a technology, I still might say, help me, Metaphor, because again, I can't take a swing and a miss by buying the wrong technology. It has to be the right fit. These are such big decisions and the investment once you've selected something, you, you to to buy it, to train everybody, to implement, and then if it's somewhere along the lines at six months or a year in, you go, that wasn't the right fit. <laughs> now we got to now we got to turn the boat around, and meanwhile we're uh, losing money. It's
1: it, this is these technology decisions. Can make or break a company. Am I right to say that they can make or break a company? I think that they don't often make or break the company. More often, they just hurt the company. Right? They grow. Exactly. They lead to layoffs. They they just don't. Companies don't see the the value that they were looking for, so they end up over hiring. Right? Like one of the biggest challenges, one of the technology can solve is how many sort of whatever your KPIs are for throughput for team members. What you see often when you make bad technology decisions or the wrong technology decisions is you just end up having more people than you really actually need. And to your commentary from earlier, it all honestly, whether you're buying software or you're building software, 10 to 15% more incremental effort on the front end is the biggest... Can be the biggest driver for success on the back end. And certainly, like everybody focuses on change management and adoption. And those are the right things to focus on. But they miss the concept that change management and adoption actually starts the first moment you think to yourself, I have a business problem that I need to apply technology to. That's the minute... That's when change management starts as a process. And that's what a lot of folks miss. I have this slide when I do present when I do presentations at conferences or whatever that's, that says you were doomed from the start. And it all comes down to folks skip over that planning part or they don't do it thoroughly enough to really get the the value that they were looking for. Yep.
0: It's a big deal. And I always think about this is if you're an early adopter of a technology, let's just talk about transportation management system. So let's just say you're a larger three PLs or brokers and many years ago you made your, either invested in your own or to bought somebody else's and made some modifications to a system. You've been using it for a year. There's millions of transactions in there. And it, this also applies to shippers. The early adopters are almost punished in the today's market because you picked a technology 25 years ago. All the guys who picked it are gone. <laughs> and now you've got to go back out and pick. And you go, how did we pick it last time? We picked it before the cloud existed. We picked it before there was all these extra apps like Green Screens and Project 44 that needs to connect.
1: And before the concept of future-proofing was really like a big right talking point. And I think that at some level, future-proofing is a bit of a fool's error to your comment. Like no one 25 years ago would have necessarily said, we need to consider that eventually there's going to be cloud technology. There's a reason that disruptive technology is, is special. But at the same time, it actually goes into the strategy of like switching costs when you make a decision can be incredibly high. So how do you... And there are obviously tactics and frameworks for doing this. And this is what we help our clients with. But it's, it's taking big decisions, breaking them down into smaller decisions because you will be wrong sometimes. And more importantly, you will want to change sometimes in the future. Tech, green screens, as you mentioned them a second ago... They are best in class right now for pricing technology. I think that they will be best in class for a long time in the interest of full disclosure. right? Like I'm an advisor for the business, what have you. The question is, if they're not, how hard is it going to be to switch? And so some of the de-risking around these decisions comes down to, how do I lower switching costs? You're right. Folks who adopted a TMS 25 years ago, 20 years ago, even 15, 10 years ago, it the switching costs are incredibly high on those systems. And so... That doesn't mean you can't change, It doesn't mean you shouldn't change. As you look to change, or as you look to do something differently. there are also tactics to lower the switching costs, or excuse me, to while well, you can't get rid of the switching costs, to make that switching less risky, less challenging, less burdensome and less disruptive, right? At some level, like technology companies love the term disruptive, but as consumer of products, disruptive is bad. Right. If my, it's, I live in Texas right now. We got this freeze coming through. So that'll date this podcast a little bit. If my energy company tells me that we're going to have some disruptive services, we got problems, Joe. We got problems because it's like a feels like a six here. And that's not exactly what we were getting ourselves
0: into. Exactly. And by the way, we'll come back to changeover and switching costs. And it occurred to me when you're talking about this, is I've, you were one of the early people to come on my podcast. And I meet, and I, I sometimes forget what we talked about on the phone versus what we talked on the podcast, but you were one not so long ago. It doesn't feel like too long ago. You were explaining what the cloud was. And I was like, Free-. there was a whole bunch of stuff that was said for a while. When oh, Our API does that. And you're like, okay, I have no idea what that And even people explained it. and You're like, okay. So it felt like for a while people just talked about the cloud and APIs. And I was like, all right, whatever. You might as well that's
1: what's tr- funny cuz that concept is happening now. It, first of all, I think that's just human nature. I mean folks do that with any buzzy term, right? Like in the 90s it was synergy as a business thing, not as a technology thing. Synergy. When there's a great 30 rock joke about that where Alec Baldwin is like never badmouth synergy and i just love it it's because it's, it's so true but that's true of anything that becomes a buzzword like people don't understand it but they feel like they have to use it in conversation that's happening right now with ai and i know one of the topics you wanted to talk about was ai yes <laughs> right there is technology that is that that is true ai there is technology that is out there that people are calling ai that's that is not AI and look like we don't have to be too like what's the word myopic or authoritarian around that's not AI and this is AI right, but at some right. level like you have to understand what you're getting yourself into if you're going to adopt technology you should explore emerging technologies I think everyone should how you apply them to your business depends on your goals but at the same time if you're just using a term to use it, you're weaponizing that term and you don't really understand and then you're doing you're taking a ready shoot aim approach, which is the biggest challenge that any of these companies that we work with faces is very often they have taken a ready shoot aim approach and we're cleaning something up or they're trying to not take a ready shoot aim approach this time, and that's where the cloud was when when we first met or is where a i is today right right. And by the way, that synergy thing, I've seen that 30 rock with Alex Baldwin. Oh my God. It's like the best line. In all time. I lived
0: it many years ago when I'm still in automotive, I had a presentation and I was like, well, there's a kind of a synergy here. And I was like, but I don't want, I know I'll get a whole bunch of crap if I write synergy out here. So I did, this is a big meeting and all the bosses were there. And I it was like, this blah, 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 synergy. And then all of a sudden there's this audible noise in the room while all my buddies are like boom, boom, synergy, and then from then on for a year, hey, maybe maybe if we go to lunch, we could get some synergy between. <laughs> they brought a you synergy. Like never with lived of it every down. I will never say the s word again. Anyway, Brian, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined Metaphor, and also why you joined Metaphor.
1: So I'm originally from Tampa, Florida. So I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. So you and I are going to be on the opposite side of that whole thing this weekend, just like we are on the opposite side of Michigan State. But yes, exactly. I grew up in Tampa, Florida. I went to the University of South Florida for college, and I went to uh, Michigan State for graduate school. I moved to Chicago, and that's where I got into logistics. So I started my career as an operator. I started it. At Wait, Tampa. You're a lawyer. Don't don't try and hide that. <laughs> I play one on I play one on television, but I yes I did go to law school and I did get admitted to the bar, but I never practiced law. I became a I became a a logistician I suppose because I graduated in the last I graduated in the Great Recession. So like I couldn't even get job interviews. A big part of my story is how I like I had to literally pound the pavement just to get people to talk to me. Yeah, that's terrible. That's hard because you're like I got a damn law degree. <laughs> it was awful, but i I got into I got into to logistics, which was arguably worse than pounding the pavement because being a freight broker is just a, a terrible job but then I started a couple of businesses in the space I started I started a, a, a legacy a couple of, of, of brokerages I started a technology company had some sort of different outcomes from those and and then about five years ago I joined metaphora and I joined metaphora because of the people that that we have in our business but if I am a little bit more Philosophical about what I wanted to accomplish. That's why metaphor was my choice out of the finalists that I had. This industry is really hard, and the way that it honestly it breaks people. It's it it breaks other people, and it's really an industry where we just we try and push the hardness to other people and the burdens to other folks. And I fundamentally believe that we can do things better, and this industry can be better and. People can have a better life because of it. Because right now, it's a hard job. Every every job that you in supply chain is hard. Whether you're a dock worker, you're a truck driver, you're a freight broker, you're a load planner, you're a you're whatever you a customs broker. Like it's just it's a hard, stressful job, and it can be better. So, I do think that like at, at a fundamental level, the reason I got I was excited to to get into consulting is because I can help a lot of companies do that better and yeah. give a better experience for their employees through operational efficiency and also through technology. Yep. And by the way, the first person
0: I met from Metaphor, it was Carrier Direct is I met Eric Malin and, and I noticed this with him. And I noticed it when I talked to Peter Rentschler and talked, or I talked to you, since you guys are working with so many people in the industry, you have a perspective that is very different. Because you're not living in one freight brokerage or one carrier or one transportation management system. You're across the top of all of them. So I'm not saying you're puppet
1: masters, but your view is different. We also don't have a solution that we're selling off the shelf, right? Like we're not. Right. Your insights are just different. I'm not here to push you into this solution or that solution, right? And so when we come into conversations, one of the things I, what I enjoy actually about my job every day is I just get to talk to cool people. Maybe they're not all cool, some of them are terrible. Except but for today. <laughs> I get to talk to like people in interesting positions and like just learn about their business because I don't have I don't have something I'm like pushing them towards. I'm not pushing them to buy a new TMS. I'm not pushing them to to build a pricing engine. Like I'm there to learn about their problems. And yes, I have things that I can sell them that can help with those problems. But because we're like agnostic to the solution, it allows me to have more interesting conversations. And I think that to your commentary, like that's part of the reason we gain that perspective is because I just want to learn about everything you're doing. I'm not myopically focused on what your pricing strategy is. I want to know your pricing strategy just as much as I want to know your capacity strategy, just as much as I want to know about your load management strategy or what have you.
0: So I wanted to talk to you today about It's three things, maybe four, if we can wedge them in. But the first thing we want to talk about is to continue on with our discussion of technology. So I think we all know that technology is how we're going to do more with less. And then it gets such a cliche, I need to do more with less. I need to invest in technology. And um, again, you said those making the wrong decision can really hurt your business and potentially prevent you from getting the gains that you hope to get when you invested. And before we hit record, uh, we were talking about this idea of, I, I, I got a technology, but it's not fully, it's never not fully utilizing it. So to get the full ROI, I needed to get a certain level of usage and I'm not getting it. So then later on when the boss says, Hey, you told me if we spent this much money, We would get this ROI and I'm not seeing it. And then you realize, oh, we only implemented it to about 60%. And it needed to be 80% for us to realize the gains. But we get tired along the way implementing a new technology. Technologies implementations have got a lot easier. But getting people to use it isn't always easy either because they're like, they're people and they're unruly. They're like cats. Please elaborate.
1: <laughs> you know how much I like cats though, so I don't know that I can stand for the <laughs> You wouldn't dedication. want to herd them. <laughs> I, ha- I actually have to do that. It doesn't matter. Listen, so Joe, I think there's really two things in what you're talking about. Number one is the concept of why is why are people not fully seeing through implementation? And the other is is like what are some of the failed assumptions that, that went into why you made a decision, right? And so some, on one hand, you have the challenge that um, folks are particularly reactive, right? Typically, the challenges that we're seeing with technology a lot of times is that folks wait until, they, until the market can tell them that they can do X, Y, and Z. And I'm not here to say that there aren't economic realities of the business, but often companies are chasing. They're just always chasing the next Thing and so they wait and wait and then it's a hurry up situation and so from a timing perspective, one of the things you're describing is like that that folks the reason folks get burnt out on on an implementation or what have you is they're typically doing it when everything is on fire and in our businesses a lot of times everything is on fire right whether rates are inflationary or deflationary everything's on fire but the other challenge really is comes down to failed planning and and misguided assumptions, right? So for starters, a lot of times we see folks when they're building like a, a business case, right? Which is what you're describing in terms of getting ROI they're assuming like a perfect world right they're like they're assuming that people aren't people and that they're going to act rationally that they're going to do things the way that you expect them or that you're going to have to be you're going to be in a situation where everyone is going to be so excited about this new piece of software because it just makes sense or because they should be even if they genuinely should be right even if it's something that's going to make them more money or make their jobs easier you assume that, and you assume they're going to see it the same way you see it and going to do it right away. And so you build these models off of some of these assumptions that are just wrong because people are people and they don't act rationally, they act emotionally. And you have to consider that as a part of your planning process. But again, in terms of like I intimated, I, excuse me, I alluded to this earlier, where a lot of times it's the 10 to 15% additional incremental effort before you even start a selection process. Because we're always chasing. There's always the concept of, I need to get this thing. I need to get a choice. I need to select it now. I need to get it implemented because I have people that want to use it or need to use it. And that's where things really go wrong. So whether you're buying it or you're building it, where we see people fall down is in that... Or we see the downstream impacts of failed realization of value further upstream, right? In... Not having the right requirements at an at enough level of detail. That's where people really fall down is detail, and whether that's business strategy or technology strategy, it's not having enough details. So, for instance, from a I'll use a business strategy example, Joe. Let's say we talk to business. What does every business want? They want to grow. I, I, we want to grow. Okay, okay, great. That's your, your business strategy over the next three to five years is grow. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean revenue growth? Does it mean net operating income growth? Does it mean gross profit growth? How much growth do you want to see? And also, like, how do you want to see it? What are some? Are you willing to? Are you willing to give up some? Let's call it net operating income as your value. Are you willing to give up some of that net operating income in the next two years to have it be higher than it would have been otherwise five years from now? Or do you need a linear or do you need things to be linear? I know you might not be willing to go negative, but will you give up 10% to get 20%? Those are all like the specifics that people need to get to that they often don't when it comes to technology, then to be able to make the right decisions about the right thing and whether it will work for your business. Not whether it worked for somebody else's business, whether it worked for the particulars of your business. Yeah. And I would also say, Brian, how many times are you going out and either
0: developing or selecting a technology. If you're at a company, you say the guys who picked the or developed the existing tech are long gone. And we've been, maybe we got this rickety, still based on a server but in the back room, And we've been nursing that along and upgrading it as we needed to, but now we're going to, but sometimes we have no choice. Your technology company gets bought and they say, we're moving into the cloud. And you go, I'm going to go through this horrible process. I might as well have open it up and see if this is even the right technology. And I think this is where it, and again, I'm not saying this to be salesy at all. I just think this is where you need somebody who says we did 10 technology selections last year, and we know, how to select because we work with all the tech companies and also we know how to implement that is in my mind, the planning, the selection, all that. That's why you need a company like metaphor because you just don't do it every year. Brian reminds me, do you ever hear somebody say this? Doctors say this.
1: It hurts when I go like this. Don't go like that.
0: Doctors say this all the time. They go, this is a routine procedure. And you go, and what I've said is it's routine for you. I never do this. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it's the same thing. This is routine for you guys, for, for somebody else. It's I've never done this before, and I hope to never do it again. Yeah, it's true.
1: It's definitely true. Anyway,
0: one of the things we talked about before we hit record, and I chose this first to be the first point we we're going to discuss, but now it's the second point is The market. Whenever people talk to Ryan Shriver, they go, "Ryan, where's the market going?" Yeah, and you. What are you hearing about the market? It's like probably the number one question I get. Yeah, but you had some interesting uh, thoughts on that. So when I asked you, "When is the market going to turn?"
1: What did you say? So I was talking about this a minute ago when I said we always are chasing, right? This in this business, we're always chasing, and you can't you can't stop the industry from being cyclical. But what you can do is smooth those curves right and and make them less dramatically impactful for yourself and then also for your customers and and there is certainly you have to break that you have to break that cycle and i think that the interesting thing about like human nature is the folk in my experience folks are always there's this interesting duality that they number one think that the current market is going to persist forever right <laughs> and at the same time are obsessed with the concept of when it will change and and so from a business from a business strategy perspective and from an initiative perspective right that creates just gridlock or paralysis it either creates the the gridlock of lack of choice or just a fire drill for everyone to to do everything right now because because you failed to plan and so I think that there are certainly in my experience right there are certainly business realities that you have to face you can't when the market is like it is or has been over the last nine months. Yeah, we're talking Yes, there are going system. to be initiatives that have to be deprioritized. At the same time, you have to be insightful about what you are going to prioritize and you can't do nothing. Let me rephrase this. You can do nothing. That is also a choice. That is also a strategy. And right, you are going to face the consequences of that on the other side. And so that's where I think you when the market is going to ch- uh, change is unknowable. It's the kind of thing you can't know until it happens. And you look back at it like the lottery numbers, right? I don't know what the Powerball numbers are until they draw them.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. We tend to focus on the bad times. And right now we're January 16th when we're talking. Six months ago, if I was to talk to you, just say, when's the market going to change? You would have said fourth quarter of 2023 or, or of 2022 or, or of 2023 or the first quarter of 2024. And now we're saying, yeah it's more like second or third. But what we also know, and we've all seen the same articles, is the very best companies in the world gained momentum during down times. And as you said, there are market realities. There are people still getting laid off right now. And I think a lot of people didn't expect the market to go this low for this long, and they're doing everything they can to survive. But to your point, how do we keep an eye on that future and start working towards it as opposed to just thinking
1: the end is near? <laughs> well, and Joe, like you were talking earlier about the concept of of people and like how they make decisions and the value and the and like it may being make or break some of the, deci- the business strategy decisions that you do th- that you make being make or break. And we're reaping the consequences of that in some senses now when from the ways we've acted in the past. And if you didn't get, if you bought software, if you bought built software, like I, one of the a lot of the conversations that I'm having over the last six months are, well, we got such and such thing to do such and such thing, or our technology team built such and such thing to do such and such thing. And they did a terrible job and we hate them and they're the problem. And invariably, without fail, the problem wasn't the technology organization and the problem wasn't the software. Like... The problem was you made a bad choice or you didn't set them up for success. And that's a really hard message for businesses to hear. And a lot of it comes down to the stuff that we were talking about planning, about being insightful about the decisions, and not spending the effort to set everything up for success, right? Get the right requirements necessary. Understand how this software actually will fit for your business versus how it fits for their other customers' businesses. What are the particulars? What are the problems that you're trying to solve with technology in your business? And then to your point too, like having—have you done this before? Like we do cloud. You—it's funny you mentioned cloud because we do cloud migrations all the time, and and a lot of times the the conversation is, man, we are tra- we've been trying to get this thing to the cloud for five years, and like we can't do it or we haven't done it or what have you. It's it's because the team hasn't done that before, and it' just was more difficult than they expected, but we get you to the cloud we got you to the cloud in three months or six months whatever it might be well, yeah, you've done it ten times you go this is that this is something we do every day there's an element of the right strategy isn't there's no one right strategy for everyone just because you're, you want to build something maybe doesn't mean it sh- maybe doesn't mean you should build it just because you have people who can build things or just because you hired engineers like maybe you should buy something because that thing is something that somebody else has and it's going to be better because of your because your business isn't equipped to build that thing even though you've built other stuff and so that's that really matters and that's where you've got to see you you're seeing that with the market dynamics as they are this is it's more important than ever but it's always important like you should be doing the right things all the time and if you're doing the blocking and tackling all the time and making the right decisions doesn't matter what the market's doing you're smoothing those curves because you've taken the right steps you're doing the right things you're doing the right activities to to set yourself up for success it doesn't mean spend money you don't have but it does mean planning development right and then execution and not getting kind of analysis by paralysis too so one of the things um we talked a little bit about technology and again
0: i i i not trying to be salesy i do think it's helpful to have a guide somebody who's done this or does this quite a bit so if you're playing around with technology and saying what is the right decision it's nice to get an outside opinion who does it all the time it's routine for you guys we talked about the market and again i think we don't have to belabor this but i think a lot of us are hearing second and third quarter the market's going to be getting better which is good so it's hopefully hopefully this next boom hopefully it's is actual boom we should start thinking as you said not not to be dependent on the the boom cycle for our, all of our growth and for all of our success and not to say we're just going to try and hang on during the down times we need to start looking and
1: saying we're going to be successful in good times and in bad times and the truth is you're right the reality is you miss the boom you miss the full impact of the boom and so like a lot of what we're seeing right now from contraction is these companies that did a good job of building a book of business, but not building a business during the last inflationary cycle, right? The, at least it's as, in terms of talking about trucking companies, brokerages, and also freight technology companies, right? They built good books of business. They didn't build good businesses. And the reason that they didn't was... Some of it was business strategy. But a lot of it came down to they didn't start reacting. They didn't start training individuals. They didn't start hiring individuals. They didn't start upskilling their workforce. They didn't start some of these technology initiatives until they were already in an inflationary market. So by the time those things got ramped up, by the time they implemented a piece of software, by the time they had a sales class, that was ready to go. That that was hitting ramp. That that had some skills behind them, right? The boom was ending, or on a down, on, on the way to being deflationary, right, et cetera. So those are all. That's the reality. Is then you miss the opportunity to build a stable base, right? You miss the opportunity to get good customers because the good customers have already made their decisions by the time that you are ready to talk to them, right? And so that's part of the reason that a lot of these companies are seeing massive customer attrition or drops in revenue. And that's again, true of the technology companies as much as it's true of transportation providers. Because the best com- the best companies weren't reactive, they made the decisions on what vendors to work with before before the cycle hit. I love it. I love it. It's so true. And again, it's, it,
0: it, you're not discounting the economic realities Or somebody says, yeah, it's easy to talk about it, but we don't have enough money to keep everyone on board, so we're laying off and- doing-
1: It's a question of how much or how little. Yes, of course. In the, in, in, when, things, when money is plentiful and capital is inexpensive, as compared to now capital being more expensive than it was, you absolutely can invest more. It's a relative concept. What we too often see in this industry is it's all or nothing. I'm either investing, either I'm going hard or I'm investing nothing. And those, that's the same swing that you're experiencing in in, in the rate right environment.
0: Yeah, exactly. So one of the things I want to talk to you about is AI. We mentioned green screens earlier. Green screens uses AI. I'll let you describe because you're an advisor over there. But by the way, before I forget, I'm going to put a link to green screens, white paper, where they des- they describe how... AI works actually posted in logistics of logistics group on LinkedIn and it's a nice primer. So please explain first off what green screens does and how they're using AI and then talk about the next step with AI. Cause we all see it coming and we're not sure how it's going to impact
1: yeah. us. Green screens does pricing for brokerages uh, spot pricing, primarily leveraging artificial intelligence and really machine learning and what they do is they help you determine your liquidity, Like, sorry, excuse me, your pricing. So how your pricing is discrete from someone else's pricing on any given sort of freight opportunity. Because intermediaries have sort of their own market. There's this concept of, what's the market rate? The market rate only matters from a strategy perspective. But from a transacting perspective whether you're taking a load from a customer whether you're trying to sell a load excuse me buy a truck from a carrier like you your market is what matters and you spend a lot of time energy and money chasing this concept of a broader sort of market rate and whether that's purely on the gross pro- revenue amount of cost of goods sold or overhead having too much cost of cost to serve cost to operate tied up into it trying to chase that those are very real things so green screens uses machine learning to help predict in the context of how capacity is tightening or loosening etc lead time some of those other factors that go into it what you're likely to pay a truck to buy their capacity on a given lane now like the concept like there are certainly areas where uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning is can make an impact on your business today And I actually wrote an article for the TIA. They asked me to write for the 3PL Perspectives magazine a couple months ago about the concept of of artificial intelligence and how it can be impactful for the business today. So there's an article out there where I talk about how what natural language processing is and how that might be impactful for your business today. But in general, what I would like everyone to take away from this concept is that what we need to focus on right now, most businesses are not ready for many of the really transformative ways in which AI can help your business. AI is not stealing jobs. Dawn from Greenscreens has a great line about how AI isn't going to replace your job. A human using AI is going to replace your job. That's what's going to win. People and the machine are going to win. And so the concept is what what, what people should focus on in 2024 specifically is AI readiness. And what does AI readiness mean? AI readiness means getting access to all of the data that you need. So, interconnected systems, multiple systems, one of the things that really drives AI is the volume of data and the different types of data. Because we don't always know what is going to be indicative of an outcome until we until we write algorithms that that can predict things. And you need access to a lot of data and you need a lot access to a lot of different types of data. And one of the challenges people have today in terms of being AI ready is their systems just aren't connected. And when I walk into a lot of these businesses, the thing that I look see is just data laying all over the floor, metaphorically speaking, obviously, but from systems that aren't connected. And that can be not properly uh, implemented. It can be not properly integrated. And it can also just be... Yeah. Aaron, um, I think about this all the time, Ryan, is that we need
0: three things to get... Use AI. We need lots of data. And to your point of diversity of, of data, right? We need computing power. We have that. That's cloud brings us that. And we get right algorithms. We know how to do that. But we've always had lots of information. It was literally in file cabinets in our office, right? <laughs> so we didn't have the algorithm, didn't have access to all of this information. Now we're starting to have data, but there's a lot of data that's out there that's not connected. And by the way, this is. I'm glad we're talking about data for a minute. All of us who are in transportation logistics, we like scorecards. How much of the information on your scorecard or in your system is subjective? And what I mean by subjective is Ryan was supposed to deliver that for me by 12 noon on Wednesday the 1st. And I don't have a POD. I don't have a proof of delivery. And Ryan wrote in that it got there at 1159 on the 1st. And what we, would, what we would all rather have is, hey, we have information from the internet of things, or as I like to call it, the internet of trucking, IoT. <laughs> and I would love it if I could say it crossed onto our property at 1150. And that's objective. And no one's going to say, Ryan, you fudged that because you didn't have a real number. And I think as soon as we start pulling all that data in and we say we have objective data right now, and I've said we talked about this before we hit record. If I had a thousand lanes, thousand transactions, and I said, Ryan, here's your information, go do something with it. You go, Joe, I bet only about 97% of this, 98% of this is complete. There's gonna be a whole bunch of things. You go, why don't we have why don't we have the proof of delivery? Why is this missing? Why is that missing? And we can't do anything with that data. Yeah. That's a short that's a problem with our current system when somebody says, I'll run a report out of my TMS, and you're like, Yeah, but it's 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 lacking not because the TMS isn't great, it's lacking because us humans we're supposed to put all the information in, and we didn't.
1: Although the TMS is also probably not great. But you're one of the things you're highlighting is as I was talking about earlier, what you need is a lot of different types of data to know what's going on. Because I I understand your concept of objective versus subjective data. At the same time, if I see that a driver crosses a geofence that says that the driver entered through the gate, that doesn't actually give me the information I'm looking for. Like just because the driver entered the geofence, the driver could have entered the geofence, immediately gotten out of his truck and ran down the street screaming naked Never to return, having never checked in to get unloaded, etc. and so forth. There's so I need to know what happened next. I need to know when did the driver go from on duty driving to on duty not driving. When did the driver? There, there are a lot of the and and that all that information exists, but it's not connected in a way that can drive automation. Right.
0: It's still in the old file cabinet,
1: <laughs> right? But yeah it's some of it's in one file cabinet some of it's in another file cabinet if you will from a data perspective and that's that matters both for AI ML and for just better data decisioning in general and automation because the like there's a, one of the challenges that we face or we have faced with technology up to this point and one of the things I think with disillusionment with technology today is folks jumped from doing things manually to automated and they skipped this step in the middle that I would refer to as 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 user-enabled, right? And so they were like, let's just throw automation at this problem. And what happened was, number one, you had a lack of adoption, and number two, you had outcomes that you didn't like. So you would run automation off of geofencing. You would say, I see the driver enters the geofence, mark him arrived. I see the driver left the geofence, mark him delivered. What if the driver entered the geofence, went to check in, they told him to go fly a kite, so he left the geofence to go to some truck stop, and he didn't call anybody for three days. That's the type of stuff that people end up not trusting automation because of those outcomes that you want to avoid. And that has nothing to do with AI and ML. It has everything to do with making sure you're solving the right... What are the tech... Again, I said it earlier. What are the business problems you're trying to solve with technology? And how are you trying to solve them with technology? And what information do you need to get the outcomes you want? Because I said this to you in prep, but I haven't said it yet. Perfect isn't the goal. Better is the goal. And I want it to be better than it is today. And so automated tracking is a great example of where it's not better than it is today without some of that additional information around what the driver is doing. Because when a human calls, they get more information. But if I just automate against a geoping, I get worse outcomes for that. So real-time tracking is still a very interesting opportunity space. And that again, goes to, yeah, how valuable the data that you have is and what other data you need to make it valuable. Now you can, again, if you can stitch it together, then you can do things. Yeah, And I said this
0: recently in my podcast and it's been stuck in my mind. Every time I talk to somebody about technology, I think about this as not so long ago. A consulting company said, Joe, we maybe can help us with a client, blah, blah, blah. And basically one of the largest CPGs selling to one of the largest retailers, we'd all recognize these names, they're delivering to these stores and not getting proof of delivery. And then they aren't able to invoice and it's costing them millions of dollars. I was like, wait a sec, some of the Fortune 500 companies, and I'm assuming they're working with great carriers and working with great brokers, aren't getting proof of delivery. And you go, so we're, we're talking about, what can AI do for me, Ryan? And you're like, this, it reminds me, a friend of mine, years ago, we went to advanced project management. And when, as we were walking in, one of my friends, this is an automotive still, and he said, this is great. We're going to do advanced project management.
1: We don't even do... Beginner program management. <laughs> right. It's funny, we're just using the real-time tracking example. And again, this isn't necessarily AI related, but you keep talking about getting the proof of delivery. But and what's a proof of delivery? A picture of a piece of paper know, that somebody signed. <laughs> and and there are, and by the way, this is actually a great example of where there are technologies today that AI and ML can help with. Pull that data right off of your picture, right? There's natural language processing applications. There's a company called Peruse that does NLP and they do document management, enterprise document management, leveraging.
0: Please explain some of that. You said a few things. What do you mean when natural language processing? So what does that mean in terms of, I have took a picture of my proof of delivery. They signed it. I took a picture and I sent it to the 3PL and it's going to be accepted, some sort of robotic process automation, put in the TMS, but I don't want it as... Uh, PDF I it as something
1: else, right? Sort of. Natural language processing NLP is, is taking, is leveraging, whether you're generating, generative AI is a big buzzword these days. So chat GPT is an example of something that leverages natural language processing. So what it does is it takes in words as opposed to taking in commands. So instead of saying, right? And so it'll take in natural language, the same way that you or I talk generally or write generally. And it can be unstructured, meaning it doesn't have to file, uh, follow a certain format as or a standard format to be valuable. And then it can understand that or parse that information and then do something with it. So something like from a document management perspective, I might get in a POD right? That's a picture of a a bill of lading. Now, what we've been able to do with technology for a while, leveraging something called OCR, optical character recognition, is take a standard form document, map that document, and pull pieces of information out of it that is structured. So I would say to the computer, look. And if you look over in this corner, and I would circle that corner, no one can see me doing this, but I'm circling it. (laughs) I would say, hey, Mr. Computer, that is the PO number. What you can do with NLP is send a document and, the do- and it can read the document the same way a human would. So if somebody makes a, a notation, over short damage is a good example on the proof of delivery front. If they cross out 10 cases and they write 55 cases, a human would be able to understand from context that is a notation but it can do other things then too right so like for instance what i'm describing here from a fraud perspective and a proof of delivery perspective is i have a signature on this piece of paper right i can tell that this person typically signs in this area versus that area with enough data again this requires a lot of data but you can do those things that are that can take subjective to to use your terminology subjective data and turn it more objective data without having to, like without having to have the historical structure that might be required to get the benefits of technology. Again, folks can employ some of that today. And if they're doing that, because of the corpus of data that's required, most companies, the vast majority of companies today, if they want to practice AI or ML, should absolutely be buying software to do that. Because the amount of data required to make it valuable is there. And then In the interim, focus on readiness for other AI use cases, getting data that you need, getting all the data sources that you need, because again, you don't know. So if you have a phone system that's not connected to anything where you can't cross-reference that information later, for instance, to say who the user was, take that phone number and figure out what driver that was, what drivers load that... Those are all things that are going to matter for things that you might want to do later. So you need to have that connectivity of systems.
0: Yeah. And you started to get it. to a point here that I I always think of we, this industry, especially if I think of like freight forwarding, there's a lot of stuff that is comes as a PDF and anyone using a transportation management system or any other system will see these attachments, the PDF attachments. And the problem is if that is what I always call just static information, You, you can't do anything with it. It's in there. But when I through using some of the technologies to describe, pull that information and put it into a field, now I'm getting closer to being able to use that data for it becomes dynamic at that point because I can actually use it. And so we're starting to get some of those technologies and And again, I think we're just in the beginning stages, but I love what you're saying, which is you're you need to plan for AI. It's just it's not something you just turn on because. It's we we don't say it very often, but it's still true: garbage in, garbage out. So filling up the generative AI with a whole bunch of garbage yields garbage results.
1: <laughs> what are you going to do with that information once you get it? And what do you need? And what do you need to make it valuable? What actually? What is the problem that you're really trying to solve? So to your point about it being static, you don't. Today, like real time visibility, we don't actually have, re- we don't have, like people say they want real time tracking. What they have is on demand tracking, meaning I want to be able to go look at a tracking update. Real time visibility is I know where things are and I know what is happening. That is the gap that we're trying to bridge because you can automate off of the second thing, right? You can't automate off of the first thing as much or as well without material trade offs. Again, that concept of the driver leaves the geofence, but I don't know what happened. Did he leave the geofence because he's going to get gas or going to get something to eat because he got turned away or what have you? That's fundamentally different than, no, I'm good, I'm loaded, I'm rolling to delivery or whatever it yes. might be. So some of that data we could get and you go, yep, that's. it always reminds
0: me, I've come from automotive and I always remember somebody creating some <laughs> reports in manufacturing one time. And I remember looking at, and I said, you created a whole bunch of data for things that no one cares about. <laughs> I was like, and I'm a big believer in, I love scorecards, and I always say, I want key performance indicators. And only the very best metrics grow up to be key performance indicators. That means I can look at five things that tell me if the KPIs are looking good, we're in good shape. I don't need to look at 60 fields of data. That just confuses me. Guy, it can take 60 fields and do something with it. Me and my puny little brain, You think with this big head, I have a bigger brain. <laughs> but anyway, I want to switch gears here for a sec, Ryan. First off, I'm going to put a link to you. If you can give me the link that you did, you wrote an article for T If you could send me a link to that, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to Metaphor's website and any of the links you and your marketing team give me. You also referenced an article you did for Freight Waves with Grace, I think. That Grace, was in wrote prep. Grace
1: wrote, Yeah, but Grace wrote an article that we're talking about like the 2024. Yeah. And
0: I'm also going to put a link to the green screens white paper because I think it really gives a great explanation of how I can work. One final thing I want to talk to you about, Convoy. It, it's, been a, it's been a little while. I think we, we were both at TIA on the day that they announced they were going to um, go close the business. And I know you've talked about it before. I've seen you've written on it before. Your thoughts on
1: Convoy. So I think that the I think the important thing about the narrative around Convoy is while it certainly didn't end in the way that anyone wanted to suggest that Convoy wasn't a success is missing the point. Convoy was an incredibly successful story. They definitely made some missteps. They definitely could have built a better, more sustainable business in some senses. They got really unlucky in terms of the freight market changing and the cost of capital market, the capital markets changing, et cetera. It's
0: kind of a perfect storm for some businesses like
1: Yeah, absolutely. Convoy, Uber Freight, LoadSmart to some extent, like some of these folks, they put a lot of pressure on the industry and they also shined a light on the industry that is pressured pressured up, up their game tech wise right yeah, exactly, and they shined a light on the industry that helped us bring you know that helped us bring incredible talent into the space that otherwise might not have considered supply chain and logistics as a value driver, and they really upped the the expectations of the shipping community about what technology can be valuable now, not everybody, not every broker feels like they need to be better with technology not every talented person in technology is interested in supply chain logistics not every shipper expects a digital experience or w- even wants a digital experience but the truth is like we are further along because of some of the work that the folks at convoy did and so i think that's also goes back to what are the business goals like you only you don't have to swing for the fences like convoy did and nor should you like if that's not what you, if you don't want the outcomes that Convoy wanted, if you're not willing to do the work that Convoy um did in some senses, if you're not willing to take the risks that Convoy took, you're not that's the wrong business. That's the wrong strategy for you. And every strategy has risk. And Convoy certainly got on the wrong end of some of that, that risk. One of our customers is a large trucking company, 3PL, et cetera. And a couple of years ago, they spent a lot of money famously building a bunch of software. And we were talking to somebody who worked there recently in the fin- one of their like head senior finance people, I was talking to him. And this person said to me, we accurately estimated how much it would cost us to build all the things we wanted to build. We underestimated how much it would cost us to maintain the things that we wanted to build. And I think that's a lot of times where companies go astray with their strategy is like, what's the sustainable business case for all of this? And as much as we we build software for people, I want people to build software. And I want them to hire me to do it at the same time. I only want them to build things that are going to drive value for them because otherwise there's otherwise it's not it's not helping them be better as a business and they're better off going and doing something else and so I think the other thing that's convoy and to an extent uber freight is is showing us right now is you've got to be insightful on that buy to build decision and you shouldn't if you're building absolutely everything that really puts you at a commercial disadvantage and the and the risks associated with that are just higher. And so I think that's the other takeaway for sure is that uh, they raised the bar. And Ryan, one of the things I've said
0: before on my podcast is we all use cool technology in our personal life. We're using Lyft and Uber and booking our airline tickets and all sorts of really cool consumer grade technology. And you remember early in your career where technology at work was much more clunky than the stuff you used at home. So your phone is this high tech mecca. And meanwhile, you're still in a black screen where you've got to hit F8 to move around the screen. And I think the consumer grade tech, when, I, when we've been exposed to it, we want it at work. And I think the same can be said for Convoy. Once we exposed the market to that,
1: everyone quickly said, yes, that's what I want. <laughs> I, I I don't think that that's actually the story, Joe. I'm going to challenge you on that concept. Like I I think that in my experience, rather there's a delta between what we want in our personal lives and what folks want from their professional lives. They certainly want things that look better, right? I agree with you on that concept, and that certainly is you have nice certain, user, interface, like, user yep. in- interface expectations. But I actually think one of the learnings from Convoy and Uber is. And I, I talked about this earlier, people are human, right? They're, we're people and we make decisions emotionally. And so while in my personal life, I may want to use an app for something that is very similar to what I want to use in a professional context, there is an emotional element to changing how someone does something professionally. Oh, and yeah. the value that they see in themselves and forcing them down the road of technology. And so one of the stories of technology adoption is if your plan from a change management perspective is to beat people over the head with a stick to get them to do what you want them to do, your management burden is going to go way up in terms of... And your co- company culture is going to really take a hit.
0: Yeah. And by the way, I interviewed the guys from Convoy a few times. And one of the things I, I always liked what they, what they would say is, we'll find a new problem and we'll throw heads at it for a minute." And then, as soon as we can, we're gonna we're gonna create a technology solution to it. Maybe it's another field or whatever. But one other thing, I heard this is on Shark Tank years ago. Somebody's had this cool app on their phone, and they're talking about the business. And Mark Cuban said, "I love apps," and he says, "And I want. I've studied it. My team has studied it." He said. Everybody loves apps on their phone, but how many do you really use? How many did you download versus how many do you really use? And it gets to that point that you keep making, which is just because it's a cool app and it can do something for me
1: doesn't mean I'm gonna use it. <laughs> I should be using it. Think about there's a corollary to this. And we should like we should have learned this lesson 10, 15 years ago. Like, how many intermediaries? have a TMS that has a customer portal. And how many times did they try and turn that customer portal on for customers and be like, hey, here's a portal that you can use. And what happened? They kept sending you emails asking you where their truck is. They kept sending you emails asking you for quotes. Why? Because you're one of X number of vendors they're working with and you're not delivering enough value and your portal isn't delivering differentiated value, right? To drive them toward the solutions you're looking for right? And the same is true from an app perspective, whether it's drivers or customers or carriers or whatever, right? It's just, it's exactly the same concept. We fall in love with our solutions and and we need our customers to fall in love with our solutions.
0: <laughs> anyway, Ryan, I've gone over my time with you. So I want to summarize. And again, I'm talking to my good friend, Ryan Schreiber, about navigating the roller coaster freight market. And we talked about a few things. First, we talked about the market and we think the market's going to change in the second or third quarter but the bigger point from my friend ryan is we got to get off this addiction to the boom and bust cycle we have to start running our businesses in a way that smooths out some of the peaks and valleys next we talked about technology and the roi and this changeover and all the other things we talked about ai readiness and again everybody wants to use ai but your point is slow down everybody we're going to get to AI, but first, make sure you're ready for it. It isn't uh, a silver bullet that's going to solve all your problems with automation and AI and ML. And last but not least, we talked about Convoy and
1: some of the lessons we can learn.
0: Final thoughts on the topic, Brian Schreiber? I think I've said a lot.
1: My my final talk, thoughts on the topic is just <laughs> I always appreciate talking to you, my man. We always And we always go over. We were supposed to be done 47. I had a meeting that I had to reschedule because I knew we were going over 47 minutes of our time. I can't
0: help myself. I'm a blabber. Because the
1: first thing we had to do was solve all the world's problems before we even started recording.
0: We did that. I'll send that email out. (laughs) Just let the UN know that
1: we've got it all figured out.
0: (laughs) Anyway, what I'll do is I'll put all those links. And again, if you could please send me a link to the article you wrote for TIA, the article that Grace wrote that referenced what you do. And I'm going to put a link to the green screen's white paper that I think is very useful. And I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to your website, and the links you and your team give me. Ryan Schreiber, what conferences will we see you and the fine
1: folks from Metaphora at? We'll be at the, next week I'll be at the BGSA, Ben Gordon Strategic Advisors. Uh, Very Conference nice. Yeah, it's Metaphor. a great one. Yeah, it's incredible. I'll be at the Stiefel Investment Conference. I'll be at, I'll be at the TIA Conference in April, which by the way, just it's over my 40th birthday, so I'm expecting you to be there and party <laughs> with me. <laughs>
0: <You> <laughs> Once that I know that I'm, that's
1: what comes to mind over the next couple of months. But you can always find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on, uh, I'd say you can find me on Twitter but I don't or X, but I don't really, I'm not really that active. i I'll put a link so they can reach out
0: and talk to you. Everyone already knows you anyway, right? Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I always love, I love our conversations before and after we hit record button. Same, buddy. And I'll see you at some of these conferences. Yeah, see you there. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward.